0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, petition in favor of the Basic Income Project uh, has reached 15,000 signatures over the long weekend, uh, which indicates to an awful lot of people that there was uh, broad support for this program when it was uh, put together as a pilot project, of course, by the previous Ontario government. Uh, interesting, as, as an adjunct to that, is the piece in uh, the Toronto Star by uh, Tom Walkham that says Doug Ford is channeling, channeling rather Mike Harris by declaring war on Ontario's poor, uh, you may remember, of course, that when Mike Harris and uh, the Common Sense Revolution took over this province back in 1995, uh, he immediately cut social service rates, as simply uh, maintaining at th- that time that uh, he—I th- think the number he used was one-third of all the people on social assistance were just scamming the system. There was nothing ever to back that up, of course, and and, and absolutely no proof of that. But Harris said it, and his acolytes believed it, and bingo, there we have. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. He joins us to talk about some of the implications. Uh, great to have you in here today. Thanks so much for this. Hey, Bill. Good to see you back. Night. I
1: had uh, I had a long weekend, but a little bit different than some people. So You've
0: had a long week.
1: <laughs> I've had a long week <laughs> since yeah, this
0: announcement t- came down. And yeah. I, I remember a discussion that I had with you during the provincial election campaign uh, about this this project, of course. And you said, "Well, you know." there's gonna be a change in government, but they did promise they were gonna continue, see this thing through and then evaluate it. And we took them on their word. Yeah. That was a mistake.
1: Yeah, and certainly pilot participants did as well. They promised not once, but twice during the election campaign in April in the Toronto Star, and then in May on CBC, that they would keep the pilot going and and they were looking forward to seeing the results and uh, finding out what the data said. So the decision last week uh, came as a shock, to local basic income pilot participants and participants in the town of Lindsay and participants in Thunder Bay, and people were f- feel they were thrown under the bus by by this um, provincial government's deception.
0: Talk to us about the human cost of this, and and uh, this is important because I know that some people simply look at this as a cost cutting measure. Well, they've got to cut the fat off this, uh, and and this is not the first government that's done this but but let's talk about this cuz you you've on pre- previous programs actually introduced us to some of the people that were involved in this program yeah. and we heard some of their stories uh, some of them, as you say, have decided to go back to school to upgrade their skills so they can get better employment and actually lift themselves up. I mean, there seem to be an awful lot of positive things going on. What what does this announcement do to these people?
1: Yeah, and it's it's really been a tragedy for a lot of people. Um, they had put their faith in the government, and, and now they're at a loss to figure out what to do. Um, the plans right now, from what we've heard, are, are to keep the basic income pilot running in August, at least. We don't know what happens beyond that. Um, So people aren't sure what's going to happen to their housing, uh, to their plans for the future if they have enrolled in school. And I know many of the pilot participants did plan to go back to school in September. Um, I I, I think the more uh, immediate crisis for people is probably around housing, though. Many people use the basic income pilot to stabilize their housing, maybe move from uh, a place that might not have been terribly safe or wasn't accessible and uh, and moved into a place uh, that they knew they could be there for three years to stabilize their housing. Um, People have entered into tenancy agreements with landlords that they can't get out of now, and so I, I heard from one young participant um, who is working with Children's Aid Society to try to get uh, try to get her children's back because she didn't have adequate housing. Um, so she used the Basic Income Pilot to. Uh, to stabilize that housing. She's paying $900 a month uh, on rent now. She's going to be forced to go back onto Ontario Works, uh, which only provides a maximum of $721 total for rent and food and, and all the other things you need in life. So not only is she losing her housing potentially, uh, there's a very good chance she can't get her kids back either.
0: There's another story to this that, that I think is very much germane to this discussion that's not getting a whole lot of uh, attention, but I think it's it's very relevant to what's going on. Not only did they announce that they were going to cut this program, but they also have rolled back a couple of the other uh, programs that uh, the previous government put in place. One of them, of course, was the clawback situation, that if you are on social assistance uh, in the way it used to be, that if you went and got a job doing something else and you made uh, 100 bucks or whatever it was, that 100 bucks was clawed back from your, your, your check, and the government said, no, we're not going to do that anymore because we want to give you an opportunity to try to, to better yourselves and do that. Mm. Now, this government, the Ford government, saying that we're not going to do that anymore. They, well, they put it on hold. They haven't canceled it. They just said they're not, they're not going to implement the program at this time. Uh, that's going to be somewhat problematic because it really just kind of pushes people back down into this, this spectrum that they're in right now where you can't get yourselves out you can't better yourself, you can't make yourself into a better situation.
1: Oh, absolutely, Bill. And when you're dealing with uh, dire poverty, it's really impossible to move on with the other things you need to do in your life. Um, social assistance rates today are, are so low that uh, people, you know, as I just referenced in, in the example I gave, um, can't afford to to cover their housing and, and pay for food, um, let alone getting a telephone so a potential employer can call them back for a job if, if they go out for a job interview. So the 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 barriers the government has put in place really over the last 20 years have just made it impossible uh, for people on social assistance to escape that. That's why my colleague Laura Qatari from the Roundtable and a number of other uh, people who have been doing work on social assistance got together over the last 18 months and made a Number of recommendations to the provincial government around how social assistance sh- should be reformed. Uh, it was a really strong report. I think probably the most far-reaching recommendation we've seen on social assistance in a generation. And unfortunately, that's on hold. Uh, you know, the the government canceled uh, the proposed increase to social assistance rates uh, of three percent. Instead, is only providing one and a half percent, which is barely inflation and it's for people uh, just really disheartening, uh, knowing there's 40,000 people here in Hamilton who rely on either Ontario Works or the Ontario Disability Support Program, another 900,000 people across the province who are, who are basically trapped in poverty because of government's unwillingness to fix the system.
0: But, but this is predicated, and let's cut to the quick here. This is predicated on the fact that governments... Uh, create this impression that, that a lot of people seem to buy into that these are scammers. The people that are on social assistance are just a bunch of bums. They don't want to do anything to improve themselves, uh, and, and they just want to sit there and, and pick up government checks every couple of weeks and spend it on beer and big screen TVs. Uh, and and that that perception, Tom, is, has been there since 1995, yeah. and it continues today.
1: Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate. It's not reality, and, and people will say, well, I know a neighbor who... Is in this circumstance. Well, fine. There there's going to be a few in any segment of society. Give me a handful of, of CEOs and we're going to find people who try to build the system as well. And and there were a lot of them that resulted in the economic recession. Well, I used the Harris example, yeah. I mean,
0: where he said thirty percent of the people on social assistance are scamming the system. That's not true. I mean no. I, I think the actual number is about two and a half 30, percent yeah. as opposed to thirty percent. As opposed to thirty percent. So yeah. I mean it it was it was a lie that was basically thrown out there to try to justify the government program. And and clearly there are still some people that believe this. They talk about a poverty industry, uh, but they don't really talk to the people that are involved in this. They don't talk to the people that are trying to work two jobs to try to pay their rent and to exactly. feed their kids at the same time.
1: And that's why basic income was such an exciting possibility. Uh, two thirds of the basic income enrollees were actually working. They were going out doing everything we tell them to do. Um, they're working maybe multiple part-time jobs, just not earning enough at those jobs to make ends meet. I heard from one over the weekend um, Adrian who, who, you know, is working uh, as much as she possibly can and looking after her kids. Uh, it was taking her an hour and a half to walk to work because she couldn't afford the bus. The basic income basically allowed her uh, to take the bus and spend more time at home with her family. Um, she was still working. Um, as are two-thirds of the basic income participants. Um, And and so for them, it's really discouraging uh, to hear some of these ugly stereotypes about people being lazy. They're not. People want to get back involved. They want to go back to school. They want to upgrade their skills. They want to get better jobs. They want to contribute to society.
0: Here's a political question for you. You've been following this for quite some time why do governments when they get into these austerity pushes uh, always seem to pick on low-income people and say those are the ones we're gonna take. I mean you know the Trump administration has done it others have done this and 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 by the way i'm not i'm not trying to throw laurels at, at the the wind government because you know they they tried to do some things and okay i give them credit for that but i mean the, the the rates that they were actually paying out for social assistance and people that are on disability checks were still woefully inadequate and have been for quite some time as a matter of fact even the proposed increase that the wind government had talked about a, a few months ago still wouldn't bring them up to the, where it was in 1995 when Harris made those cuts that's right yeah and but, but but they seem to be the target every time governments want to save money it's well we're going to cut social assistance
1: yeah and and people on low incomes uh, don't have the financial resources to fight back off and um, they're often committed uh, to you know to, to raising families and, and looking after their day-to-day crises so it 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 makes it very difficult to fight the system. Um, But this weekend, I I was really amazed by the support we've been seeing for Basic Income Pilot participants. We, uh, along with the Basic Income Canada Network, launched an online petition on Friday. And uh, as of this morning, it already had 16,000 online signatures. So the people, I think, are starting to realize um that we all need to stand together against these types of government decisions and uh you know, we saw we saw what happened in the city of Toronto a couple of weeks ago with some of the decisions there. Uh, last week, it was the provincial government hitting Hamilton and, and its most vulnerable members. Who's going to be next? We don't know. But I think it just makes it important that we band together and, and speak with a unified voice against these types of cuts.
0: And and by the way, for those that want to characterize this program, this idea about the, the basic income as one of these left-wing wacko uh, policies, uh, the whole concept of this was developed by Hugh Siegel, who is yeah. a conservative. Uh, yeah. he, he was a senator, obviously, but, I mean, he worked in at, at federal and provincial for the conservative party for years and years and years. And this was his brainchild. He's been pushing this for years. This was a conservative that was doing this because they understood that this is actually going to help people in the long run
1: and help the economy in the long run. Yeah, and he has been the most critical voice against this decision out there. Uh, he, he spoke very passionately the other day about uh, about the ill-conceived decision to cut this program uh in in really halfway through its first year uh we hadn't had the data in but people were already enrolled they were promised uh that they could participate and and obviously people are are feeling overwhelmed now and so it's great that we have uh strong advocates like uh, senator hugh siegel standing out up for it we've had federal cabinet ministers speaking out as well and uh, i I think the more voices we bring uh to the reality that that's facing basic income participants over the next few months i I think the more opportunity we'll have to either get the provincial government to um to change its mind and uh and reinstitute the basic income pilot for the full uh period that it promised it would or we'll look at other options and and there are other options on the table.
0: Yeah, but those other options. I mean, let's talk about the implications this is going to have because this is not just, okay, we're going to slash this. Hey, I make $100,000, so I really don't care. It doesn't impact me. It does. This is going to have an impact on property taxes because the cities, the municipalities that are going to be impacted by this are going to have to pick up the slack here.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, so Lindsay is a small town in eastern Ontario, which was also a pilot community, one of the other three pilot communities. And for them, it's been absolutely devastating because uh, there were two thousand people participating in that community in a population of about 20,000. So the economic benefits to the town as a whole, uh, were really, really profound. The, um, the past president, of the chamber of commerce I was speaking to yesterday out in Lindsay and, uh, yeah, he was saying, this is going to have a really detrimental impact on the local economy. They are all getting together today in the local park in Victoria park in, uh, in Lindsay to, to rally against these cuts. So, uh, you know, I, I think we recognize here in a larger city like Hamilton that maybe the economic impact of basic income won't be quite as 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 profound as as it is in a smaller town, um, because we had a thousand participants. But it's still important and it's critical, absolutely critical for those people who are turning those their lives around and making investments.
0: But we've talked about some of the challenging neighborhoods in this community. Uh, where people are having a tough time trying to crawl out of the, this economic quagmire that they find themselves in, and it's not just because they're lazy. It's not, that's, that's a ridiculous, I, I think, uh, m- you know, prototype that people have put out there. Uh, these are people. Some of them, of course, are on disability, can't work full time yeah. for a number of different reasons. Uh, others are trying to improve themselves, and as you mentioned, going back to school to try to increase uh, your 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 capability, your workability is is a great idea. But if you've got a job and you've got to pay your rent and you've got to feed your family I mean it's pretty difficult to say I'm going back to school this was enable these people to do this we, we just seem to always catch ourselves with short-term political thinking. This is a way we're going to save a couple of million dollars, but we don't look down the road and say, what's this going to cost us down there? And and uh, I, I would have thought with what happened in the mid-1990s that we would have learned from that, but apparently not.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess not. And as you as you recall, Bill, because you had a couple of guests in, in studio in May when we uh, hosted the North American Basic Income yep. Congress here in Hamilton, this is a pilot that was really being watched from around the world. We had uh, we had guests from uh, all over the continent and, and even further than that coming to Hamilton because they wanted to find out about how this pilot is rolling out. Just over the last few weeks, we've had um, media from uh, Japan, from South Korea, uh, from the United Kingdom, um, because this really could potentially be a critical social policy of the 21st century. And and if we don't test it, if we don't see what some of the bugs are in the system, uh, how are we ever going to roll it out on a, on a wider scale? And, and so that's really what this basic income opportunity presented, not only the opportunity to help a group of people with income security, but really getting the data we need to find out whether This will be an important social policy of the future. As we see more automation happening in the workplace, are people going to have the jobs today or tomorrow that they have today? Um, We'll need some sort of buffer for people if, uh, if people aren't getting enough hours and aren't getting enough work. And basic income could provide that used
0: a, a very important word, I think, in this discussion a couple of minutes ago, and that's reform. And, and you've talked about this, and others have talked about this, about social assistance reform in this province. And that was part of the rationalization that, the, that uh, Minister McLeod used when they made this announcement last week. Well, we want to reform the system. Uh, their, their tact seems to be, we're going to destroy this and then we're going to come back with what we think is going to be a better system. Yeah. Uh, so, But th- there's a void there in, in the meantime while they're doing this. But the problem here is that uh, reforming the system, in, in some people's minds, simply means putting less money into it and making it less accessible and, and more difficult to
1: qualify for. That's only creating a larger problem, isn't it? Yeah, and it's counterintuitive. It creates that larger problem. It puts people deeper and deeper into poverty, and, and that has societal costs. We, we see the cost of homelessness directly on the streets. Uh, you know, we've seen more people um, sleeping rough uh, on our downtown streets, and, and that's just a reality of a broken social assistance system. We know when people are living in deep poverty, they're far more likely to get sick, and they're using our health care system. Uh, one day in the hospital costs probably about three times uh, what it would cost to to keep somebody in affordable housing uh, for an entire month. So, you know, these are arguments that we really need to to push back against because unless we invest in people living in poverty, they're never going to be able to break that cycle.
0: So they, they, they're going to, they say, come up with some sort of an idea and some sort of a reform package right now. But, I mean, where do you go in a situation like this? And I, I, I'm not even going to try to get into their heads about what their priorities are. But, I mean, I, I just found it mind-boggling that the government makes this announcement to say we can't afford to do this anymore, so we're not going to spend that money on social assistance for helping people out in, on this. And the very next day they say, <laughs> but we're going to subsidize a buck of beer. We're going to – I mean, is is that really where we're going in this province right now? Uh-huh. Where a, a buck of beer is, is actually what we need to do. That's going to be a government priority and not not helping people to, to lift themselves out of poverty?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can – possibly respond to that bill because you're right. Just the just you saying it out loud <laughs> just reminds me of how ludicrous it, it truly is in a society where we have such deep inequality. Um, saying that, you know, reducing uh, reducing cans of beer to to a buck each is is something we need to put emphasis on. Why is it good to have socialism for beer, but uh, not for important programs like like health. This, this is gonna assistance. be
0: government money. I mean that's essentially yeah. I mean, we're gonna talk about it in the next next hour, but they they have said that they're going to subsidize. Because I've talked to a number of people involved in craft breweries, and I saw one guy tweet earlier today said, "Yeah I can offer you a buck of beer but it's going to be a two ounce glass <laughs> because it costs money to make a quality product well apparently that's not inconsequential but you really have to wonder about the priorities right now and and we know that when the Harris government slashed social service rates uh, arbitrarily back in 1995 it essentially created the food bank industry I mean yep. uh, you know they were there were one or two of those that we heard about you know in, in Toronto they're rampant all over the place right now and they're stretched to the limit right now because people are trying to get get by and feed their kids and at the same time try, and try to work enough to pay for rent or whatever else might be. It just seems as if, uh, you know, we're, we're going right back into that situation again.
1: Yeah. And look who's using the food banks. 70% of all people here in Hamilton, and it's numbers are pretty stable across the province as well. 70% of all people going to food banks are actually on provincial social assistance programs. So either Ontario Works or Ontario Disability Support Program. So in a very, very real sense, This government is legislating hunger because of their inability and unwillingness to fix social assistance.
0: Tom Cooper. Thomas, thanks as always for coming in. Obviously, this is not the end of the story. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Bill.
1: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.